Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Greetings brothers and sisters, welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup. I'm your humble host, D-Base, that's talent on loan from Kolob. Now my crew and I, we ruminate weekly on the great and spacious beehive, so thanks so much for joining us to discuss the current events in Mormondom. This is episode 102 and it's January 14th, 2024. Taylor Swift is coming to Brigham Young University. You're not going to believe this. Uh, there's Mormon lawsuits galore this week, the really some juicy stuff. And we're going to give you an update on the carbon monoxide poisoning from last week where an LDS congregation was poisoned by carbon monoxide. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can visit my website, which is www.mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to invite onto my program the fab my fabulous co-host, Peter Bleakley. Peter, how's it going? Hello, I'm well, thank you. It's great to see you again. Um, thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> I, you know what? Yes, this is your second appearance. And most times when people, they have their first appearance, they usually don't make it back. They say, what, are, what am I getting myself into here? Oh, no. I had a whale of a time. It was fantastic. Loads of fun. <laughs> uh, absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Uh, that's great to have you back on here. Now, um, Peter, uh, you run the Mormon Civil War channel. Um, what's that all about? This is basically about the, the tension within Mormonism between what I'm categorizing as sort of Christian impulses and Pharisee impulses. And I'm saying that the Pharisees have kind of taken over too much and we need to push back and and it is a civil war and it's it's going to destroy the church. So the, the Christians must win. <laughs> the sheep must beat the wolves. So that's kind of what I discussed with a big focus on contemporary Mormonism, what's going on, what's actually happening in power dynamics and, and particularly trying to have a British perspective outside the Utah bubble of, you know, what it's like to be a global member of this church, which is a very different experience. Um, and also we're quite vulnerable, you know, we're the first to go if if things start to collapse, which is happening now. I've got a big mini series out at the moment where I'm I'm trotting through all of that, but also trying to incorporate some of these recent events with the mad, crazy scandals with um, Tim Ballard and all the rest of it and Jody Hildebrand and, and taking a actually doing a, a wider research look at what all those people are actually teaching, what their philosophy is and how it relates quite closely to what the general authorities teach. You know, they're not that far apart. Yes, I did watch most of your last episode. You were famous for your long-form episodes, so yes. um, very. <laughs> it's always very entertaining. It was, and a, it was only three and a half hours long. It's one yeah. of my baby ones. It was <laughs> practically a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you on. So let's uh, jump into the news this week, and we've got a lot of interesting yeah. things happening. You know, this is a follow-up from last week, Peter. Carbon monoxide detector poisoned a... Uh, a congregation here in Utah, I say here, it's, I'm not from Utah anymore. I, I don't live in Utah, but you know, now the church has responded to that. Uh, and I want to play this uh, video clip and get your reaction because they're going to add carbon monoxide detectors to Latter-day Saint, mm. to the Latter-day Saint church where they, uh, dozens got six. So let me play this, to get your reaction. Carbon monoxide detectors being installed in a church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints building where dozens became sick last weekend. We told you about this earlier in the week. Last Sunday, 54 people suffered from carbon monoxide poisoning at a meeting house in Monroe. The Zavier County Sheriff's Office says everyone is okay now. And now, news from a family impacted by this and from the state fire marshal too. Amanda Gilbert has the story. State Fire Marshal Ted Black says the meeting house did not have CO detectors when this incident happened, but he says they weren't required to in Utah 
public buildings must meet the code that is around when they're built, and this meeting house was built a while ago. Marion Reed was attending service here with her family when her four-year-old daughter was suddenly ill. Her face started going pale and she started looking dizzy. She took her daughter outside. I looked down and she was just pale, blue lips. It didn't look like she was breathing. Marianne called 911 and thankfully, once they were at the hospital, she was totally fine, completely came back. Still, it was really scary. I honestly thought I'd lost my daughter there for a second. She says she just doesn't want this to happen again. This was an anomaly and so we are anxious to know what happened. State Fire Marshal Ted Black says a carbon monoxide leak like this is rare in Utah. CO detection was not required in that building when it was built. We don't make codes retroactive as a general rule. Do you think Utah laws should be changed so CO detectors are required in businesses or places like this? What is the acceptable level of risk in this situation? And it may be that we start to require this, these systems. It may not be. We need to evaluate the facts and then make a decision and then let the legislature decide. A facility like this, they're large, the system would be expensive, and you're in a, an environment where people are in there two hours a week. The state fire marshal says that the exact cause of this leak is still under investigation. Peter, what is the acceptable level of risk for a NLDS oh chapel? Gosh. For for a carbon, um, a carbon monoxide detector that costs a few dollars. I mean, it's insane. Listen to these people. I don't, just to, putting my sort of British hat on, I'm kind of intrigued with this idea that, that the building regulations depend upon when the building was built, not what is safe now. <laughs> What's wrong with your country again? How is that like the legal minimum rather than you do what's safe for human beings going to live meetings right now? And it's extraordinary, isn't it? Just, you know, life is cheap compared to having to spend some of the hundreds of billions on a, on a detector. I was really intrigued by your, your brilliant rants in your last episode where you were talking that as a landlord, you know, you're all over this stuff. You have to be. It's just basic common sense as well as good practice that, of course, you have fire alarms and carbon monoxide alarms and all of that stuff. Because the consequences can be horrific. This stuff kills people, as as these people nearly experienced. I, it's, I, I don't know, it seems to be a conflation of those dysfunctions in health and safety culture in the USA, um, but also with this sort of, we'll only do it if we legally have to attitude with the church. It's gobsmacking, isn't it? You know, yeah, I guess we'll have to check, see if the legislature, I mean, what do you have building regulations? What's going on? As they mentioned, in the United States, with building regulations, once a new regulation is put in that you have to have either some kind of a different code or, or more requirements, all of the previous buildings, they don't have to be retrofitted in order to accommodate that. And that fire marshal, Ted Black, says, um, quote, if we had people update their buildings every three years when we pass new codes, we'd put people out of business. So and they're saying, hey, we can't require people to put carbon monoxide detectors, even though he, he said in the clip that the carbon monoxide detectors would be really expensive. Um, hello? No, they're not. They're a few dollars. And he's the fire chief. Right. In America, one of the things I kind of fell in love with about small town America on my mission was to actually understand it for the first time. Because here in Europe, particularly in Britain, we're very crowded. So the gaps between towns is about, you know, someone's lawn. So we don't have that sense of each town being like an island in a vast ocean where you have to have everything local. You have to have your employer, your police service, the people who provide the services. 
and if your TV repairman moves out of town, you haven't got one. And that right kind of helped me to really adjust my thinking about America and and how it, how a lot of people in small town America really function. And the idea that you're voting for your sheriff and electing all the and you the local parents kind of control the school board and what the curriculum is and so on. So I'm wondering, do do they vote for fire chiefs in Utah? Do you know? Because this guy needs to be voted out very, very quickly because he, he thinks carbon monoxide detectors are really expensive and he, and you probably shouldn't have to bother with them if you're all going to church in an older building. And and that sort of cracks us up as well. Obviously, we're very spoilt here. You know, I can walk 10 minutes and I'm in a building that's a thousand years old. So, <laughs> like, you know, we can fit these things in ancient churches from the Middle Ages. You guys can do this for something that was built 20 years ago. I mean, seriously, it's not an old building. <laughs> like I said in the last episode, the church needs to do a lot better here and they are going to retrofit yeah. some of their buildings and there needs to be a lot more done. If you want to hear more thoughts on that, go back to our last episode because we uh, opined about that uh, very significantly and in great detail. Now, this is all from Legal machinations there's another uh, legal thing that's hitting the news here i know this is going to be near and dear to your heart here because here in the united mm. states there's a mass tort and a class action which has just been uh, filed here in my neck of the woods i live near washington dc peter and its mm. former lds church member seeks an mdl docket for claims accusing defendants of misusing ties so well, that's kind of technical but an mdl docket means that they want to roll their particular lawsuit or lawsuits into a tort, into a class action, into rolling multiple lawsuits, into suing the mm. church for the misuse of tithing, the misrepresenting yeah. of the funds here. And this was a memorandum which was filed here in my neck of the woods where plaintiff Joel Long said that he paid tithes or a percentage of his annual earnings to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with the impression that it would be used only for charitable or religious purposes. And the lawsuit says, no, it was used for building malls and investments into the mm. stock market. And now they're yeah. trying to pool together the class actions. Mm. This is all standing on the shoulders of James Huntsman, who was the first one who really started this ball rolling. And I know that you've been following these type of tithing things very carefully, Peter. Mm. I'm so excited about this because they haven't got a leg to stand on. So reading a lot of the analysis that's gone on around James Huntsman's case, it's mostly focused on the fact that President Hinckley got up in conference twice and promised that tithing money would not be used for the City Creek Mall or to underwrite it, which both turned out to be a lie. And that and that seems to be the basis upon which it got sort of reintroduced to the courts or given another a second wind. But I'm tearing my hair out here, as I said last time I was on, I'm just so frustrated. That's trivial. All of us, all of our lives, even now in the, the Liahona, are being told over and over again that tithing is for the church. Tithing is being used to build the church, to do the missionary work, to, to help the poor or whatever. Although, actually, it's fast offerings for that extra. It's nothing to do with them all. It's like literally everything they said over and over again, telling us what we're giving the money for. In a context before the revelations about Ensign Peak, that the church is poor. We were told the church is poor. President Monson said the church was poor. They all stood up in general conference and said, in effect, the only wealth we have is our church buildings that we meet in and the money that comes in each year. And it kind of all goes out immediately to keep the work going. And on that basis, loads of us made huge sacrifices. We chose to pay gross tithing rather than net. 
we we constantly said no to ourselves our children our our, our personal needs because we believed that the the money we gave from our poverty often made the difference that the church really needed it for this work to go forth and it was worth making those sacrifices for all of which has been a crock for at least 23 years now and i did a little check i mean when they had the big push in lihona for the the new tithing declaration system there are at least two lists in the lihona of what the money is spent on and it doesn't mention hoarding hundreds of billions of dollars the size of the gross national product of most of the countries of the earth like nation states in wall street and buying half of florida and what, what we're seeing now with these buildings you know they keep buying industrial complexes they've done it here in london um they've bought a huge expensive office block for 103 million and it's just yeah there it is well hey 74 million pounds well, and as I've said, when up the road, Welling Ward has finally, since 1842, been homeless, but they finally decided to buy an old working men's club with four parking spaces to convert into their chapel. You know, half an hour drive away from that. Ultimately, they are, they've committed such an egregious charity fraud on so many people. They're doomed. At some point, this is going to stick. And when it does, the floodgates will open because they they have no leg to stand on and hiding behind this little fig leaf of arguing in courts around what President Hinckley said about City Creek is a tiny drop in the ocean of the lies we were told and how all of their media, their publicity, everything, the, the mag church magazines have constantly pumped the message that every penny of this is needed for the running of the church live, you know. Yet contrast that with Bednar saying to the press club in, in Washington, where this case is happening, um, that the church doesn't need your money, you know, and hasn't for a long time. And it's a hundred billion that they've got sitting there, which they can run the whole church off the interest of that forever now. I get as livid as you do about this stuff. And also remember there are different legal systems around the world. Whatever, you know, if, if America tends to be soft on religions when it comes to tax, as we've discussed before, that isn't necessarily the case in other countries. So I think the church must know that its end is nigh financially when people really sink their teeth into all this. Um, and to then have the presiding bishopric deliberately goading the IRS, like saying we're putting a million dollars, it's none of your business what our assets are on our tax returns, you just think, are you kidding? <laughs> you're, you're like, come and get us. When they, IRS has been holding back, they don't seem to have been doing much in response to the whistleblower. But these guys are like goading them in national television. It's hilarious. They're, they're going to get roasted eventually. Yeah, I mean, you're talking mm. about Bishop Budge, who specifically mm. misrepresented the church's assets on the 990 forms. Yeah. And he said specifically yeah. that it was none of the government's business what the church was uh, managing and that they didn't feel like they needed to be honest when they filled out that block. Yeah, we're definitely going to be watching these lawsuits. There's going to be a lot more of these class actions. We, I've seen at least several of these class actions in the United States here in Washington, D.C., on the West Coast in Washington. There's a lot of these that are percolating because mm. people are seeing that James Huntsman has started to see a crack in the door of the tithing and once yeah. like you said the floodgate could be opened if james huntsman wins 
you will see more stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's all the time that we have on that. But this isn't the only legal mm -hmm. thing that the church is in. All of these uh, articles that we have so far, they're all legal. Here's another one here, Peter, that uh, is in Cody, Wyoming. You know, the church was trying to push through in that small town in Cody, a giant temple of greater than 100 feet. And they're trying to keep it illuminated and they're trying to put it in a residential community. And it has not been well received in Cody, Wyoming. It's been the subject of four lawsuits already. And just this week here, the judge has rejected emails as evidence of bias in the Cody LDS Temple lawsuit. So it's the Cody Neighborhood Group, which is appealing a judge's rejection of a trove of nearly 4,000 emails. So these emails were, were used, supposed to be used to show that the local the, the local people who were involved with this, that there was bias, that there were members of the church who were specifically trying to get this temple over the finish line in unethical ways. And unfortunately for a lot of the people in Cody, Wyoming, that's been thrown out. But I just want to read this one last portion of this to you and then uh, get your thoughts on this. This is in a December filing, Johnson County Judge John R. Perry ruled that allowing the emails and texts as evidence would be wrong because it would allow the court to rule on information not available to the city prior to the planning and zoning board making its decision to approve the temple in August. So this has been a minor setback to the people in Cody, but this temple is still the center of a huge amount of controversy. Let me get this right. The emails prove there was a conspiracy to swing a political decision, but they're not allowed to reference those emails now because the people being deceived by the conspiracy didn't know about the emails conspiring against them. At the time. <laughs> How is that in any way rational? I love America. You <laughs> you. Honestly, when we're feeling crap about ourselves, we just look across the pond and we're like, we used to do this to Italy. Um, and we're like, oh, thank goodness we're not them. Like, we could be really messed up. We're just messed up, like on a really fundamental level. But those people, that's a clown show. To repeat, they've literally said that we can't, refer to the con secret conspiracy against you because it was held secret from you absolutely nuts there's a secret conspiracy where church members emailed each other to plot against a political decision or to swing it their way but that can't be admitted into any kind of investigation into this this apparent corruption because the people being deceived behind their back didn't know that they were being deceived by their behind their back at the time that's <laughs> that's right that's exactly that's exactly how i read it i i mean i try to love america and it's legal you know well i don't love its legal system much but you know you're our child you're meant to be improving on the parental unit come on people <laughs> and and you do you have these legal shenanigans where obvious common sense justice things don't get to happen and the whole basis of common law which you inherited from us is meant to be that common sense basic justice can occur it just shows how much corporation and i'm sure there's more of it here as well but um we we just keep it quiet and <laughs> gentlemanly about it i guess our corruption um but just how, how why do you keep self-sabotaging the land of the free it sounds like you're all trapped in a prison run by corporations and whoever has the most money and the lawyers wins Everything we learned about our law system, we got from you. So I guess the, the apple no, hasn't no, no, fallen no, no, far no, no. from the tree. No, no, no. This nonsense is your own madness. <laughs> this this wouldn't fly here. <laughs> you can't you can't investigate a crime, but say 
you can't look at anything that the secret people doing criminal stuff in secret did because it was secret. <laughs> that doesn't that that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm definitely not a legal scholar, so I can't tell you for sure. But uh, you no. know, it's still there's still a big icy reception here. A lot of people do not want to have this temple. Mm. It's associated with four lawsuits. Mm. This is yet another case where the church is being sued. Just all of these yeah. things that we talked about so far are all from this week. What happened to the Mormons being the nice people? You know, the harmless ones, the people who who just who don't think like this, who who just turn up and do good mum and apple pie or shucks will will mow your lawn, will will help you out. We're good citizens. We're kind people. Yet they're just behaving like a rapacious corporation that is ruthless and it's its own winning. Everything is all that matters while it loses its members because of this kind of nonsense. And it's certainly not going to get many converts in Cody where they got their temple. I mean, the whole point of temples is if you build it, they will come, you know, put a temple in an area and there'll be massive growth. Well, the temple itself has become a complete turnoff for people to want to join this church because they're seeing what it's really like or how its leaders behave. There's no no common sense in that PR strategy, is there? You talked about how this temple would lead to people leaving, perhaps leaving the church. And that's what our next article talks about here. An article here by the Salt Lake Tribune, where we have this uh, individual here. He's a researcher, an independent Latter-day Saint researcher, Mark Martinich. He talks about, hey, you know, you may be seeing a lot of people leaving the church on social media, but don't worry. The stats show that the LDS church isn't falling apart. So don't believe what your eyes are telling you. Instead, believe what I'm telling you. What are you seeing, Peter, as far as the stats of church membership and the church falling apart in your neck of the woods? I'm trying to understand what this is about. I did start listening to the Mormonland uh, podcast episode because I'm a big fan of Mormonland. It was, frankly, really boring, and they got bogged down talking about the new thresholds for forming stakes or something like that. So they hadn't really got to the point of that headline. But it's complete nonsense, isn't it? I mean, we can all see people leaving. If you talk to anyone in the church, certainly my age, middle age, the vast majority of their peers growing up have left now. Loads of our family members have left. There doesn't seem to be any family that this isn't happening to, or it's very rare. I'm in a country where they're now shutting down stakes because of shrinkage. You can see that they've tried to play this as, oh, there's growth. Look how well Utah's doing because people are moving to Utah from California, where they seem to have to close the stake every week now. The exodus is so huge. Again, if you go to David Bednar's uh, presentation last year to sort of Q&A and National Press Club, very revealing, really interesting. And they came at him with raw data, you know, the Pew Research and the surveys that show far, far fewer people identify as LDS than they claim. And he started waffling about, he. it's the, the funniest stream of contradictory consciousness you'll see from an apostle. And there's been a few. So to have the funniest one is quite an achievement. He, he goes, well, we don't know what the data is, but we trust the data. And, and he just literally flounders and contradicts himself because he knows perfectly well exactly what the data is. And he was trying to imply that you couldn't really tell how many active members there were in the church in America because of the poorest borders in Mexico and nonsense like that. I've been a ward clerk in two wards. I know exactly the granular detail of data the church gets every week, every week and every quarter from all of its congregations. They know exactly to the dots 
uh, unless the local bishops are lying, um, which some do. How many people are actually turning up on a Sunday and who they are, what demographics, how many youth, all the rest of it? Because we give them all that data. It, what really annoys me, really, when we have uh, pundits like him coming on, you know, reading the runes, trying to say, well, we shouldn't necessarily make these assumptions about what's happening in the church because, because, because. But no one says, but the church already knows all this. They're just hiding it from you. They know exactly how many people are active in every stake in the in the world. And we got super lucky here in Britain. I mentioned last time that we had a data leak in 2020, which was 10 years after uh, Elder Tashera, when he was Europe area president, challenged Europe to double its sacrament attendance in a decade, which sounded like a very unambitious goal. In that time, we lost loads more members, so maybe it wasn't. We have the data for active membership in all the states in Great Britain between 2010 to 2020, which is how we know now that we are down to about 11% active in the country. So when those leaks happen, it's you got it all. It's all there. They have all that data. They could publish it, but they're choosing not to. So you then have to get, you get these pundits who are, who are interpreting vague trends and so on and trying to extrapolate and make assumptions. I don't know this guy particularly. I think maybe people need to pay more attention to Mormon Shrivel in Reddit and some of the other operations that seem to be much more conscious of the fact that it's a screaming decline. Anyone going into the media now saying, oh, the church isn't really declining. And we've heard general authorities over the last couple of weeks declaring, you know, like Kevin Pearson of the Utah area presidency in the conference to everyone there saying, oh, no, the church is, you know, we've we've never been stronger in each demographic while wording it very carefully. I think he, he said numerically, these people are just in denial. <laughs> and it's so frustrating. You know, from any point of view, critics of the church, but also those who actually want the church to still be here in 20 years, which is what I'm about. I'd like it to be here. It will only be here, though, if it changes significantly to deserve to be here. It's ruthless out there. It has to earn its survival. So I'm not talking about preserving the church in the mess it is, because that won't happen. It, people are leaving in droves. It will have to change. It will have to become significantly better to turn around this accelerating decline. And these people are just going to look like twits when eventually someone leaks all the real data. And again, I think you made that point in your last episode that at some point, someone, in, an insider will leak the national data for the USA. Somebody's going to leak it mm -hmm. all the way back because we know it's sitting yeah. in a database somewhere. So yeah. at some point yeah. in the future, it's, it's all going to be on a USB drive. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to hand that memory stick over to yeah. somebody and it's going to get published on the internet forever. So you might as well just get ahead of it now. That's what I said last week. And I still yeah. agree with it. I disagree with the conclusion. I think that the Mormon shrivel is real. And I think that that can be documented. Mm -hmm. Now, oh, other things that are trending this week, over, especially over on our side of the pond here, Peter, is this uh, a Hulu docu-series here, mm. Shocking New Cult docu-series, is the top show on Hulu right now. And Peter, you don't have Hulu over there, is that right? No, so we, oh. we have to wait for these things a bit. So Under the Banner of Heaven came out uh, a few weeks or months later after everyone else in America got to see it. So I think this one is going to be eventually coming out on Disney Plus here in Britain. So we're looking forward to seeing it then. Yeah. I'm aware a bit of the story. I followed Lindsay Hanson Parks, uh, who was involved in this documentary, her polygamy, you know, 100 years of polygamy or 100 days of polygamy, <laughs> whatever it was. It's turning into 100 years. Absolutely <laughs> awesome. So I, I have listened in the past to some of the episodes about this family and what was some of what was going on. 
so I'm really looking forward to it um, in yes. a sort of morbid sort of way. <laughs> I haven't gotten it's a chance to fun. watch it quite yet, but it is called Daughters mm. of the Cult, and it's currently the most popular show on Hulu, according to the streaming service. This is a five-part docuseries which dives into the shocking history of Herbal LeBaron, who's a fundamentalist Mormon known as the Mormon Manson, the polygamous leader, ordered the mass murder of his rivals and used religious doctrine to justify his crimes. Now, I'm going to play this trailer. Hopefully, we don't get a copyright strike on it. We'll have to see. I might have to edit this out. But let's see what's going on. I haven't had a chance to watch this, but I am looking forward to it. I was 13 years old the day I escaped my father's cult. It was very frightening because... I knew if somebody saw me, that was the end. I was fully convinced that we were God's chosen people. Our father was the leader of a Mormon religious cult. Our dad had 13 wives. He was more revered than Jesus. We were taught to conceal the polygamous lifestyle that we lived. It was creepy old men with very young underage girls. He's rubbing my leg. I'm nine, and he's already starting to groom me to become his wife. He raised us to be like him. He raised us all with a gun in our hands. He used us and groomed us to kill for him. When you were sent to do an assassination, you had to smile so they were off guard. Our family was killing people. I don't think anybody really suspected what was about to happen. It's going to be a bloodbath. His polygamous fanatic cult are suspects in a string of slayings. He was hagged the Mormon Manson. It was a massive manhunt. Suddenly men burst into the house with guns. It was horrifying. That's how cults work. They work by fear. This is where things get really bizarre. As if the story doesn't have enough wild twists and turns. My worst nightmares I know are coming true. It was devastating. People that didn't do what they were told were killed. The fear factor just went through the roof. Really good people were led to do terrible things. These are assassinations. This is going to be some series. Boy, this trailer is really something. And you know, Peter, when it comes to what trends in Mormonism, it's not Meet the Mormons. It's not the church-produced videos. It's this type of stuff that really goes viral. I mean, it's been mad. You know, I kind of joked at the beginning of my, my last episode that, you know, up to this point, talking about Mormonism in the 21st century has been about getting outraged about something said in a general conference or that's been discovered in a document from 100 years ago. Now it's like tabloid headline horror, kidnap, murder, abuse, financial fraud on epic scale. And of course, you know, the Mormon fundamentalists have been giving lots of filler stories. And I kind of commented like, it feels like everyone, you know, really enjoyed the Netflix documentaries, you know, Keep Sweet and Obey and, and the other company doing Under the Banner of Heaven and everything. So they're like, oh, let's give them more stuff to make documentaries about just this year. With the Hildebrands, with with all the with Tom Ballard, all of them, the whole shaban. There's so much material there for for gripping real life stuff. You know, you don't. Truth is stranger than fiction. But still, this story kind of seems to blow the under the banner of heaven stuff out of the water. You know, a guy who trained his children to go around assassinating people. I mean, that's next level, isn't it? And these stories are all sitting there in our history. And you just get kind of get frustrated about how 
completely incapable and naive the church's media operation is in the face of those realities to actually get a grip on how they just got to go for bust now you can't be faffing around with giving machines and thinking that's going to do it <laughs> the bubble around the first presidency that people come to them with this, oh, let's do a hashtag, people will feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, we're going to change the world. Everyone will want to join our church. And this stuff's on headline news and the major entertainment for, for vast swathes of the civilised world. They, ha they are clueless. They just, they're, they're faffing around with, they're fiddling while Rome burns. They're scrubbing the deck of the sinking Titanic. You, you you know, you run out of metaphors for the complete inability of the church and all of it is missionary work, it's media operation to even begin to process this or prepare the members to to handle it. I've had this frustration since I was a teenager. It's not and that doesn't take rocket science. I'm not special. You could see all that coming just to get even in the 80s, the naivety of the church's PR and its Schwartzy adverts and everything that really don't speak, certainly sort of outside the, the American bubble as well as the Mormon one. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to that, I think. It's going to yep. be depressing, but also startling. And I, I hope this stuff actually shocks members into getting real. And the, the point that has to keep being made is this isn't just some crap pop fringe group. Um, obviously, these people are extremists, but what we really need to look at is why so many mainstream members are slipping into those kinds of behaviours, torturing their children and making a, a podcast out of it, making, you know, the, the eight passengers stuff um, of how brutal they were to their children and the, and the ideas behind that that are actually coming straight from General Conference and from Mormon culture that, that the leadership have allowed to fester for so long um, because they were perhaps distracted by chasing after the truth tellers and and the liberals and the academics and all these people that made the the boogie bears um and it's actually these people they're 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 based conservative not very educated sort of reactionary um members who normally they're quite happy with because they'll get up and declare on on you know pure testimony and certainty about the truth and how the prophet's amazing until they turn on the prophet those people get left alone they don't get challenged and they're now paying a really heavy price for not challenging that kind of apocalyptic end time prepper brutal parenting god in the council room in the therapy room sort of oversimplification of life which is much more complicated and needs careful nuanced approaches if this stuff doesn't kind of kick the church into some reality checks nothing is going to really but it's kicking a lot of members into reality checks and they're leaving because they they watch that but then they think actually i'm already in a system in the mainstream lds church where some of our people would do that if the prophet told them to go and shoot people they'd do it and they've got the guns already that's an alarming realisation to have. And there isn't anything like enough coming from the leadership to counter that narrative. And just in the lessons where it's like, oh, Abraham was great because he was willing to execute his own son because he heard voices in his head from God tell him to do that. And Nephi to, to Laban and all the examples that we offer up as examples of faithfulness. But they always involve 
God told you to break all the usual rules and kill someone. In that clip, we saw a father conditioning his children to be assassins. And it may sound extreme, but think it through. If you're being told over and over again from infanthood, literally infanthood, that these are examples of true faithfulness, that you break all the normal social rules or restraints on your behaviour to do brutal things to other people, and the whole of the Old Testament is an example of that, let's go and do genocide repeatedly, because God told us to, so it's okay. He's condemned those people, they deserve what's coming to them. I, th I think when you step back from Mormonism or start to look through a more nuanced or careful lens, you start to realise how extreme, how extreme and horrific the messages we normalise in our lesson materials, in what we teach in primary and seminary and so on, and in, in adult gospel doctrine. Um, these are the consequences. Even if the, most people won't do these things, some people will. And as a duty of care, you need to consider that before you unleash such ideas and normalise them in a large community of people. And I think this has been a really fascinating year, and it's going to keep going on, for the church to kind of have an opportunity, should it choose to, to realise that and learn from it and make some severe course corrections, um, which they probably won't, of course. But we're all talking about it. We're trying, you know, wake up. Hello. Uh. Yeah, Peter, there are some people who are willing to stand up and try to shine a light on some of the harmful practices that we've seen here. And one of those that really comes to mind here is uh, Adam Steed. And he has just recently been voted in as the, uh, you know, the Brody Awards there. It's the, he's the yes. two, 2023 ex-foreman of the year. <clears throat> he won for exposing the horribly unethical therapist, Jody Hildebrandt. And Adam was one of the first whistleblowers who worked tirelessly to get LDS bishops to stop or referring people to Hildebrandt, who was ultimately arrested for child abuse and a number of other crimes. You know, um, Lynn Packer also was in the running for this as sh yeah. for shining a light on unethical practices. But there are some people out there, mostly outside of the church, who are willing to try to stand up and point out things that are not yeah. right. And uh, Adam Steed and uh, Lynn Packer are a couple of those people who are trying to shine a light on harmful practices. Well, they're so brave. If you, you know, you've got to see the Adam Steed interview on Mormon Stories. And also, uh, I thought perhaps even more powerful in lots of ways was Jodie Hildebrand's niece, who was basically handed over to Jodie to raise by her parents. And an extraordinary, ridiculous things happened to her. And I was rooting for 21st century saints who are also in that list who who pioneered the creating an environment in which we ended up having um, police background checks as, as required now for everyone working with young people in the U in the UK. Um, and that's all going really well. The stake safeguarding specialists have been called. They're being trained up. They're starting to roll out the what we call the DBS check program, which is Disclosure and Barring Service, uh, which is the national program for checking if people have convictions involving harm, harm to children or abuse and things like that uh, before you employ them or put them in positions of authority. So they were very worthy to be on that list as well. There's so many people speaking so many different areas of the church's dysfunctions and campaigning for better. And that was a great example of how it works. It does eventually work. Truth prevails. It really does. Common sense eventually dawns on most people. And for me, the challenge is 
how do we persuade them to stay and fight rather than just leave? And at the moment, they mostly leave. Very few people who kind of have that epiphany about the state of things uh, stay and, and fight. And that's kind of what I'm campaigning for in my podcast at the moment and what it's always been about, really. Is, is there a way? Can it work? Can we use the church's own democratic systems to remove these leaders and replace them with better people? And constitutionally, absolutely we can. It's all in Doctrine and Covenants 107. It's all there. Always has been. It's in our scriptures. We have a written constitution in the church. We have separation of powers. A state high council has equal authority to the first presidency. Any bishop can convene 12 high priests and put the president of the church on trial if they've done things to make them unworthy of their calling, which arguably they absolutely have in, in, in quite a few areas. Um, so it's about, um, I think all liberation movements involve an education process first, you know, like black consciousness with Steve Biko in South Africa and equivalents in the civil rights struggle. Um, feminist awareness, well, all of these movements to address an injustice or, or make a system uh, less harmful, you start by having to use to inform people, to get them to think things through, to realise they're more powerful than they realise. And then people power kicks in and democracy and it, it eventually makes significant changes. So we've got lots of examples of that all around us in recent history. And we can do that in this church, but we're going to need people to see all this horror for what it is, but then stay and fight if they can. And I appreciate for many people, particularly if they have young children, they can't put their family through any more of this. They need to get away somewhere safe. So I, I do absolutely accept that. Um, but I'm just trying to encourage as many who can stay to, to vote, to speak up, to take the hits, be excommunicated like I was if you have to doesn't stop you going i'm still there every sunday um trying to be present you know rather than disappear and get forgotten it is peter is you know we covered our 2023 top 10 mormon stories of the year and it seems and all a lot of the articles that we've talked about today seem to be bad pr stories the church had a difficult year last year in in yeah. public relations without question and there's in my opinion the church has tried to counter that in a number of different ways number one they've uh brought on Patrick Kieran, the new UK apostle who has a background in public relations and yep. is, conceived, is seen as a very compassionate individual who mm. is um, a very uh, positive, has a much more positive mentality than what we've seen from some previous leaders with regards to sexual abuse, with regards to compassion towards refugees, with regards to just being a Christian, you know, I use that term as a Christian. And also this week as well, Peter, we saw the church also uh, reach out and hire mm -hmm. a new managing director for church communications. This is Aaron Sherinian, a longtime global communications specialist who was introduced Tuesday as the new head of public affairs and media relations. So we're seeing the church trying to go into somewhat of a damage control in order to perhaps stem the tide of bad press and also keep a hold of the membership. Well, this is fascinating. His, so his background is doing PR actually for, I think, Deseret Industries or something for for one of the church-owned entities. Deseret Management Corporation. Ones. Management Corporation, yeah. So he's an insider, but, and this is fascinating, and I've only just heard about this, he's actually seems to be quite woke. Um, he on his Instagram yeah. apparently he has very pro, pro LGBTQ statements and things like that. So 
I've been sort of for researching my podcast, spending a bit more time paying attention to Ward Radio, which used to be Midnight Mormons. So these are kind of the shock jock extreme end of the spectrum of apologists. And they constant, or at least Cardinalis constantly references his um, obsession with the idea that, you know, the Democrats and Mitt Romney are, are infiltrating the church and are going to take over. But he frames everything going on as part of that culture war, that political thing, even when it sounds ridiculous. But one of the points they're making recently was to say, well, like they just couldn't believe that the church would release the press release it did about Tim Ballard and effectively excommunicate him publicly. Um, at which point all of the people on the, at the other end of the spectrum who used to be persecuted by the church publicly were like, oh, really? You didn't notice any of that happening to all of us? Okay, so you think the church doesn't do that in a press release after what they did to Sam Young? Um, but so they've had a bit of a, a, an awakening, let's say, in their more honest moments. It's been quite interesting watching that play out. But they were saying, Oh, you know, their their only way to explain this was that somehow some uh, atheist, sat satanic, right wing, uh, sorry, left wing Democrat socialist conspiracy has infiltrated the bureaucracy of the church, including its PR. And they were trying to throw the guy who actually did that press release or responded to advice as if somehow they'd gone rogue and and the the innocent apostles had no idea whatsoever that they was they were disassociating themselves from their hero tim ballard um so to that, now find out that the new president newsroom is like visibly supportive of lgbtq people they must be freaking out i haven't had time to see them freak out yet but it's gonna be a very very entertaining to watch well here he is on uh, twitter he's got uh, twenty thousand followers and you're right he was a managing manager over at the deseret management corporation which is the church's for-profit arm he was a senior vice president there and he was also part of the global communications and pr so they're bringing in a real someone with a lot of experience and as you mentioned a lot of people are saying that he is quote unquote woke peter because you know greg on quick go. media Yes. He, yeah. he put he put out a video that says that the new communications director supports pride and pronouns. So yeah, if Ooh. you look in his bio, it's got his pronouns in there. And that's oh, for, yeah. for a lot of right wing members. That's completely unacceptable. We shouldn't be talking yeah. about pronouns. And what I find remarkable mm. about that is if you look in the church's handbook of instruction, it says that pronouns are perfectly fine. You can call anyone by any pronoun that they want. Yeah. So even according yeah. to the church, it's just fine to call people by their pronouns. And these folks are taking big issue with uh, the new media direct uh, director saying that, you know, he's gone to pride rallies. Oh, my mm. gosh. Can you believe this? he's oh, actually gone the out the and, world right and he's actually gone out and said that we shouldn't harm members of the lgbt community that we should affirm people and that we should support people and reach out to people and for them like greg and uh cardin ellis and by the way i've had both of them on the mormon news roundup by the way peter i've had yeah. both of them on this yeah. program yeah they said, i need oh, to find those episodes <laughs> they they drive me nuts everyone i know all my friends here in britain even who say and they all say the same thing it's like they've got a script I cannot listen to these people for more than two minutes without wanting to destroy my phone, forward slash throw a brick at the telly. <laughs> they all say the same thing. But if you power through, I actually really like these guys. I think they're a lot of fun. They do have a sense of humour. And my theory is, so Bill Real and, and used to be an apologist. I used to be an apologist. John DeLynn used to be apologists for the church. I think there's a process that if you just keep talking from whatever 
end of the spectrum, even from like their, their uber sort of MAGA sort of perspective, um, if you just keep discussing with anyone the problems facing the church and you halfway pay attention to reality in your own wards, you will start to realise what the problems are. And one of my upcoming episodes is including some clips from Ward Radio where they clearly have had that epiphany. They know the problem is our gerontocracy, that our leaders are too old and out of touch. And they know that they're absolutely alienating the young people. And they themselves as young fathers now are finding that they're the last ones left in their congregation. Um, they're seriously wondering what's going on. And, and it really it frustrates me because we all had that experience 10 years ago. And instead of slagging us all off and going on and on about how we're all Satanist atheists who want to break up families if we're criticising the church, if they'd actually listened to us, they might have got on board with the things that would stop this happening to them now. Because it's already happened to us. All of my immediate family members won't touch the church with a barge pole now. It's going to happen to them and it's not fun. It's a horrible, painful process. They had Greg Matson of Quick Media on. They even had Jacob Hansen, who is just make it's like scratching a chalkboard to listen to him. He's so annoying and arrogant. As they kept talking, they get it. They do. They understand what the problems are. They may have slightly different well, they don't have any solutions for a start. Um, I think we need to talk to each other more. I guys, I want to come on Ward Radio. I'd love to. I think you're a hoot. Um, I really disagree with you on some things, but we need to listen to each other because you've got all that energy and talent and, you know, passion for this, but you are barking up so many wrong trees. <laughs> you just don't get it. And your complete lack of compassion for the harm that the church has done to people that you just like they as soon as that bishop in Mississippi resigned, they had to get out an episode immediately to to start slugging him off, to slate him. To say, you know, oh, well, he's clearly bought into the whole thing. You know, he's just going to waiting for his turn on Mormon stories. Please do it, Bishop, in, in Mississippi. I want to hear all about it. They don't get it. They, on a fundamental level, they don't understand what they were watching there. And they had to spin hard to try and make this guy look like a baddie um, rather than having basic compassion. And they, they I mean, they, they offered some compassion for his situation, but it lasted about three seconds at a time. But they're starting to crack. Eventually, they'll get it. And um, my point is, it'll be too late in 10 years, guys. You know, start talking, start really listening. Don't just have confrontations with the critics of the church. Really listen to them. Because actually, we're both quite passionate about the same things. We all care that something's gone wrong. And we're both starting, both directions from the extremes are, are focusing more and more now to realise it's about fundamental systems in the church. It's about making the most elderly the leaders and all the problems spiral out from that that root cause um so they're they're getting it they're starting to see how things are well i've had uh cardin ellis i've had uh jacob yeah. hansen and i've had greg yeah. from quick media all on the mormon yeah. news Rabbit. i've actually had yeah. greg from quick media on the program twice so yeah. um if anyone can do it hopefully if you stick around with mormon news roundup you'll be able to uh read a little bit well, or hear a little bit more brilliant. about it <laughs> well, and good for you. You know, we need to talk to each other more. We just must. And we need to work through our, have the argument, but then realize not, not so much to see the humanity in each other, because I do believe in sticking with your principles, you know, be consistent, 
don't change your view of a point of view just because you like the person saying it differently. Let's keep hammering out in what Hubie Brown called the, the marketplace of thought. Truth will prevail in that. And neither of us should be afraid of that process. Um, wisdom will come from that, from really understanding the full breadth of what you experience and for us to understand them better as well. Um, you know, then they're, they're not the monsters that is very easily to paint them out to be, despite their best efforts. <laughs> to be monstrous at every opportunity you have to kind of filter that stuff out <laughs> yeah. well peter uh, thanks for your thoughts we've got three last episodes to uh, take you out of here awesome. and number uh, number it. one is david archuleta is his he's releasing a memoir to address Fantastic. his mormon faith and sexuality he said i've decided mm. to report my it's important to share my story and he's inked a deal with the harper collins that he's going to be releasing his memoir which is going to talk all about i don't i don't know if this is going to be a tell-all i don't know how much he's going to dish but he is definitely going to talk about his faith he, he he identifies as part of the lgbtq community and you know he had previously published a children's book called my little prayer but it's going to be interesting to see what happens here because he was the poster child really of of what it's like to be gay in the church. Yeah. And then the moment yeah. that he basically walked away from the church, you know, they unlisted all of his YouTube videos where he was singing yeah. with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They yanked his books mm. out of Deseret Book. They pulled him his uh, speeches mm. from the BYU bookstore. You know, he really got the chain pulled out from under him and his mom has now left the church, but he's going to be doing a memoir and this is going to be a big, big time bestseller. I mean, this is Donny Osmond leaving, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 epic. And he's such an amazing guy. He's been so brave. It's really hard. And you can see his heart is in the right place and his family as well. Um, again, I hope this is a wake up call for people to understand why we keep losing our brightest and best. But also to just start to notice how ruthless the church's machine is. They'll always come up with the next married couple who identify as as same sex attracted and it will last for a little bit and then they'll eventually leave the church and you quickly replace them with the next people. I think they've had to clear out about half of the films on Mormons and Gays website because those people kept leaving the church and so on. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't work. Get, like, just, it's not working. And, and we've got two present monsters to choose from. You know, if we go for the one where he was all friendly and woke and, and you know, don't judge people by their by any names or categorization <clears throat> while he was in the flush of getting his award from the the college. You in, mean in president? Yeah, I think you meant President Nelson, not President yes, Monson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. I've apologies. You know, there's that version. And then there's the complete opposite with Think Celestial, which is you all have to be temple married and heterosexual before you die or you're done. You're, you're not going to see your family again. Um, total contradictions. I actually started listening to some of David Archuleta's music because I hadn't really followed it and I'm old now, so why would I? Um, and I, there's a song I love. It's called Postcards in the Sky. And it's a lovely sort of metaphor about um, sort of spiritual feelings and thoughts and inspiration, you know, care and prayers on behalf of other people. I don't know if he wrote it, but it's a lovely, lovely song. And it seems to reflect the kind of the heart of the guy and what he's really about and his spirituality. So I'm really interested to see um, how he handles writing that book. It's going to be interesting. Uh, yeah, definitely yeah. going to be looking forward to that. And then uh, we only have two last yeah. articles here, and they're both kind of on the lighter side here. And I was amused when I read here, uh, Peter, that a Utah brewery has had been forced to discontinue a beer after the church registered a trademark complaint. 
what do you suppose the name of this beer might have been? Um, and that's what I'm going to bring to you. The name of the beer was the Deseret IPA. Brought um, And Deseret, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, owns the copyright to the word Deseret and also the word Mormon. And if you uh, produce any products that are not in conformity with church teachings, then the church will come. They will send you a cease and desist letter. And then if you continue to sell that product, they will sue you off the face of the earth. So this particular uh, brewery, or as you would say, a pub, no longer serves Deseret Brew. If you're selling a product that's completely against church values, they will spend a fortune of tithing money to build you a mall to sell it to people in <laughs> on a Sunday. That's what they actually do. And it's like, it's like, was it bad Mormon or something? That woman that they sued who couldn't publish her book because she used the word Mormon, even though years ago, President Nelson has publicly disavowed the term Mormon as anything to do with our church but they then sued someone for using the term Mormon as if they right. own it when it's a wide movement of history. How can you trademark Deseret? This is, I know it's like a, a Mormon history thing, but that's a part of American history. That's like saying you can't use the term Arizona <laughs> or something in your product. Well, it's, it's, it's a historical the, entity. It's not your trademark. Well, whoever trademarks the term first is the one who gets it. And I believe the church trademarked the word Mormon. I want to say it was a long time ago. So they're the first one who's got that. They're the first one who trademarked Deseret. You know, uh, whoever gets the trademark first, they get to have the rights on it until it goes into the public domain. So again, the ineptitude of the PR. They've just <laughs> created fantastic free PR for this beer I'd never heard of. I don't drink beer. I'm still living half the word of wisdom like all the other Mormons while eating meat and fruit out of season. They'll get loads more customers for this beer now. They're just looking like idiots. They're not going to be able to sell the beer anymore, but the brewery will still be around. That's for sure. I, oh, I don't know. I mean, we had a Brit. I thought Mike Otterson was great as president newsroom. Um, he had to navigate some crazy stuff. And if you watch that interview he did after the November policy was first announced with Christofferson, it suddenly cuts off at the end. And while you're watching, it's the most uncomfortable interview ever because they're both dancing around something they both know is completely indefensibly terrible. Um, and, and you see the light. You know, we talk about the radiance of the Mormons, the light in their eyes. We see the, the light in, in Mike Otterson's eyes turn a steely grey. I mean, my gosh, these people just don't know how to do PR. I remember the process. My mum in the 80s was a, an, a regional public affairs person for the church, massively frustrated that at the time, even in local newspapers in Britain, you had to have any press release vetted by Salt Lake, you know, before they let it all go with, I'm a Mormon, we'll trust the members to talk online and represent the church, which was much, much more sensible approach. But they were so excited that they were playing the PR game. Oh, we're doing these adverts now. We've got Bonneville Media. We're going to do these videos, some of which you've reviewed in, or are reviewing, you know, for the missionaries to use and things like that. But they don't actually get it. And we've seen that so often when the church PR has come over here to Britain. I'm, I'm off tomorrow to see in London Book of Mormon Musical, still a raging success uh, for the third time this big media push with I'm a Mormon around the time in response to that. 
Um, and so we had teams from Salt Lake come to Britain, film loads of these I'm a Mormon adverts with interesting people, interview lots of us to see if we were the kind of person they could use in their PR. Um, but it was all handled incompetently. And we were meant to get all these pass along cards and books of Mormon to give to people. But no one actually organised the delivery in time. And it was a damp squib in the end. And it was just yet another example of how you've got these PR chances convincing the brethren that they've got, you know, competence and the next big campaign that's going to make a huge difference. But they run it badly. They they don't maintain any kind of programme. It usually ends up looking ridiculous and embarrassing. And here we go again and again and again and again. One thing about church PR that I think that they can get right, and that's our last article, even the church can't mess this one up, uh, Peter. That's because it's been revealed that Taylor Swift, a, a new BYU course hey. is being offered here. It's going to be taught by a quote-unquote Swifty philosophy professor. And here's a picture of his actual office where he has a full-size cutout oh, of Taylor Swift, a cardboard cutout in the front of the bookshelf of Professor Ryan Davis's office. He's a passionate Swift fan, and he's going to be looking for the philosophical implications of her profound lyrics. Peter, is this the type of course that we need at Brigham Young University? Well, it can't be more nonsense than half of the rest of what they teach. So, like, there's a very low bar here. And and we've had headline grabbers like th this here. I, I think it was in the 90s. Some university in Britain was offering courses in Madonna, you know, Madonnaology, sort of the same thing. Um, but I've actually taught philosophy at my school for, for several years. Um, about half my timetable was philosophy and politics, as well as my main thing of teaching art. And that is a brilliant way in because you can start at any point and use it as a way to look at society about philosophy to introduce philosophical concepts. So I'm sure it's not just about following Taylor Swift's Instagram account. It's going to be substantial. <laughs> and and so this is genius. It's brilliant. Don't don't just be fooled by the headline. This is a brilliant idea to engage people with with philosophy and culture. Said Professor Davis is standing next to his yeah. Taylor Swift cutout in his office. Yeah. He's a self-proclaimed Swifty. He goes on, he's yeah. he's been on a number of the different tours here. It, it, but you know, I haven't taught a lot of philosophy. Let me just ask you one last thing, Peter. Is there a lot of deep philosophy in Taylor Swift's lyrics? I can't say I know that for, for personal sure. I've not okay. actually paid any attention <laughs> to them whatsoever. But you can work, you can work with anything as a starting point. <laughs> need a okay. bit of creativity and imagination <laughs> all right very, very well and that kind of got me thinking you know peter i was thinking you know if you're gonna take a course at byu which i taught at byu for a very long time uh, it, but, you know maybe maybe that we could have a couple of different co good courses at byu and i thought what what kind of courses would i like to see at byu and that brings me to the mormon news roundup poll of the week for january 14th 2024 and if you come on over to youtube on on sunday nights at 9 30 p.m eastern standard time you can take our poll and what is the poll of the week this time peter Top 10 courses we want to see taught at BYU. Love it. <laughs> Let's go. This is okay. one of your best ever, I have to say. Okay. We're, we're, that's, uh, that's, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, how about number one? <laughs> Forgery Detection 101. Does your yep. spirit of discernment know you're standing next to a bomber <laughs> who's selling you stuff he made in his, his sitting room? <laughs> Yeah, it seems like if if we taught if BYU would offer a course in forgery detection, it seems like that the church wouldn't get suckered into so many bad purchases. I agree, absolutely.
they, okay. they need to prioritize that. <laughs> yeah, a, a good course would be a, a very, very solid for this. Or how about number two? What to do if you're the last active member in your family or ward? This is real. This is like, <laughs> I'm getting, well, I'm in my immediate family, I'm there. And my plan is to be the last, one of the last active members. So I inherit the billions. So I'll become an apostle. So there'll only be 12 <laughs> members left. And I get to retire in luxury. It's all going to happen fast. I've staged it. I'll probably be about 70 when that happens. And that's just in time to, to do a few world tours anyway. <laughs> yeah. This is the future for the last tranche of remaining active members. They need to get used to this. And how are they going to do it? That's why I this said, you know, happening. a BYU course that covers that would be very timely at this time. That's why it's in there. It or how about number three? How yeah. about number three? Real church history that hasn't been sanitized by correlation. <laughs> you know, they have an yeah, entire dream. department, Peter, of church history. And the most amazing thing about the Department of Church History at Brigham Young University is that it only teaches like half of what is actual church history. The rest, because it hasn't been correlated. Yeah, there you go. The C word. <laughs> how to delude yourself into believing that you're an lgbtq ally while taking a full-time paycheck from the church <gasps> controversial Do yeah you i you're, you're I did a bit there i mm. am pushing it a little bit there and i'm see i can speak to this point mm. because i taught at byu yeah. for so long if you're taking mm. a full-time paycheck from the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints don't delude yourself into thinking you're an lgbtq ally yeah. unless no. unless with one caveat unless you found a bishop that lets you have a temple recommend without paying tithing because if you pay tithing to the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints part of that tithing goes to denying LGBTQ persons of their rights through amicus briefs, mm. through legal processes, mm. and other things. So mm. if you pay any tithing to this church, knowing that it is going to be yeah. used to deprive people of their rights, you're not an ally. So don't pretend if you're a BYU professor that you're an ally, because if you pay mm. any tithing, you're not. And I think also, particularly now they've made it part of the contracts for working at BYU, that you waive your clergy client, client uh, penitent confidentiality. Yes. That your bishop can grasp you up if you even express, this is the th proper thought police now, if you express any kind of empathy or sympathy for your own LGBTQ students and their, 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 their predicaments, you know, and the, and the harm being done to them, you can be fired and you have to contractually agree to that level of thought control. So I think that certainly kind of amplifies the point that you're making now. You can't remain neutral in that kind of a scenario. It's not their choice, but they are facilitating a system. And there comes a point where we have to decide, do we continue to, to be the people running this machine of oppression? Or are you going to, you know, challenge it, throw a spanner in its works, speak up? you know, insist that the, the machine changes because the members of the church, they just want to be Christians. <laughs> Some of them want to be Pharisees and they love it. But, you know, most of them want to be Christians and they're trying to do that and keep their heads down. They just want to go out and do home teaching and love people. But ultimately, you, you're part of the same machine. And what you then deliver in your worthiness interviews, in your lessons, is determined by these people who also do all this nonsense and lie to you. So do you scream at the people about to be baptised? These people have lied to you about quite a few things. I've heard them lying to you. They've told you several things just today at church that are not true. And they're going to be after your money. 
and it's not necessarily going to end well or do you stay strong and and that's the ethical dilemma i have to sit with every sunday that would be fine if the church was just trundling along and mostly doing no harm but it's not it's collapsing fast the whole edifice is falling apart the membership are evacuating all the people you are spending all this time trying to give a mormon education to at brigham young university most of them are going to leave like really soon sometimes before christmas <laughs> um therefore what's it for what is the point what are you doing it all for and that there are and we all have to ask every bishop has to ask us every relief site president every youth leader what are we actually doing this for what's the end game here is it worth it when it's clearly failing and it's all been pointless when all these congregations we devoted ourselves for generations to building up are now evaporating in front of our eyes and our own heritage and our family is gone we have a right to be able to raise children and grandchildren as happy latter-day saints in a healthy environment and these general authorities for and their systems that then perpetuate more of the same through the generations have absolutely sabotaged that from happening absolutely how about number five here <laughs> peter the satanic evils of beards piercings and sandals <laughs> now this cracked crack me up when i saw it because i was in the national portrait gallery today and um i don't know if you got the picture i sent you but there's this portrait from 1894 which was amazing it looked quite modern of a guy who was a campaigner more than a century ago he was he was a gay playwright i think or something for homosexual rights for sandals <laughs> for environmentalism for vegetarianism you know all the woke stuff so when i saw that on your list that just cracked me up i'm like yeah that was this <laughs> british guy doing all that a century ago <laughs> that's why i said yeah. we need a course we need a course that covers that peter that's number five or how about number six <laughs> the church real estate acquisition techniques let's all get rich and own the world absolutely um, they keep buying the flat stuff though they're you know because they don't believe in global warming they keep buying the first state in america that's going to be underwater with the rising sea they're, <laughs> they're selling they're literally selling missouri zion for florida which will be under the ocean really soon that's why we need a course that covers all of these advanced techniques exactly. here we, we need to know exactly. exactly how what is the church buying and like, why are they buying it the complete sense, rationale you know, but how about number seven here advanced pimo methodologies shall we explain the jargon oh shall we see how many of these i can translate this is this would be a good test because uh, every so often in in like ex-mormon rabbit new people are like what does this all mean tbm true believing or true blue mormon tscc the so-called church pimo physically and mentally out to codge colds the church of jesus christ latter-day saints ga general authority eqp elders quorum president pec priests executive committee right missionary training center rm return missionary ap assistant to president zl zone leader district leader book of mormon church education system choose the right Brigham Young University. Well, I'm not sure some... if I know all of them, but yeah. that's what this that's what this entire course would be about, Peter, is that we need a course yep. to break down all the acronyms and teach us how to be an advanced PIMO physically in, mentally out. That's what we need at BYU. Or how about uh, number eight, which is, I believe, is our last Mormon one. Mormon nepotism. How can you cash in? Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is the, the most um, effective way to money and power in the church. You have to marry in if you're not born in. So how do you do that? Marry the right people. There you go. Yeah. 
Hey, if we have a Swifty course, we could have one on that too. And uh, for those of you out there in the live chat, um, we appreciate it. Would you please cast your vote? And Peter, would you be the first person to take our poll? What course do you want to see most taught Ooh. at Brigham Young University? I would say what to do when you're the last active member in your family or ward. Yeah, I need some training on that. This is my life now. That seems very timely at this time. Yeah. So uh, for those of you out there, thanks for taking the poll. And that does take us to our final segment, which is the Mormon News Roundup Joke of the Week. So this is another gift from the amazing cartoonist Calvin Grondel, who passed away recently. I got his Freeway to Perfection book on eBay or somewhere, um, which was published a while ago. Um, so this one I thought was was speaking to my life at the moment. So we have a Mormon couple watching General Conference and two two repossession agents are carrying out the television they're watching conference on, on which the general authority is saying, and again, we counsel our members to stay out of debt. <laughs> and I was just I, and if you go even now to the the church's sort of bullet points of finances, you know, what does the church tell you to do about money? Number one, pay your tithing. So you get you lose ten percent of your income. Pay a generous fast offering. The spirit will inspire you to pay more, you know, than you can afford. So that's more than ten percent of your income gone immediately. Then it says Make sure that you're meeting all your financial obligations or make sure that you are um, debt free. And then make sure that you are living within your means and self-sufficient and make sure that you're also saving money. Are you doing all of these things? And it's just like you can't. This whole system is about impoverishing people. Young people saving their money blow it all on a mission. Then they've got nothing when they start young adulthood to start a family or build a house, even though everyone pays enough tithing every year to cover all of their costs. And then some. Losing 10% of your income makes a significant difference to the outcomes for your children. You know, all these financial sociological studies, the, the way the world prices things, your rent, your mortgage, the cost of things in the shops is all based on very tight calculations of what the average income can afford. But if you then knock yourself off another 10%, you're an extreme disadvantage. Over time, that piles up. So that really spoke to me, that one, because this spring, after a huge effort over several years, we stopped paying tithing. And we started using that money to pay off our credit card debt, which wasn't vast, but it was persistent. You know, we were usually living in the red because we paid tithing. It took us below our ability to to live on what we earned. And that has made an exponential difference because simply we stopped paying tithing. And now we're able to start planning big things. We're remortgaging. We're going to extend our house. We can feel for the first time in our lives financially secure um, because we're not wealthy we're not poor we're very lucky we're, we're basic middle class sort of income people to income parents but losing 10 percent of that is is too much it, it knocks you you down it can make a huge impact um, you can do so much more good and better for yourself and for others if you choose to the church wants to impoverish you and it will go after your money all the way through if it will tell you to have loads of kids you can't afford as a young student at university, and then it tells you to pay for all of their missions, which impoverishes you further. And then they want you to pay a, a salary of, <laughs> pay yourself 
from your own savings or pension as a retired person 20 grand or more a year to the church to go and serve a mission doing something basic somewhere so they don't have to pay someone a salary and then they want you to leave money in their will it's just rapacious at every step of your life they are screwing you for money they, these criteria for the new wards and stakes they talk about so many youth who are tithe payers it's like what what are the children paying tithing on where well, it's pocket money from their parents. I had a tithing book as a child. When I got my 10 pence tithing in the 1970s as a six-year-old or whatever, one pence of it went to tithing. And that was all documented in this little book in a desk in our hallway because I was being taught by my diligent parents to, to pay tithing from a child. But then you think, again, over time, that's coming out of the, your parents' household income. They're paying that extra. How much tithing actually are they paying? It's a lot more than 10%. But it's so hard to get to a point where you just notice what's been going on all the time in your life. And then you feel stupid. Some people do. Why was I suckered? Why was I looking at other churches and unhealthy organisations doing all the same stuff and seeing it when they do it, but I couldn't see it happening in my own community? And it raises really deep questions about psychological conditioning and so on. So this is the journey people are on and the church is going to have to raise its game, change, apologise, reform a lot of stuff if people aren't going to just keep seeing it and walking away. Well, that just reminds me, I'm sure you'll be watching, you'll be covering these on the Mormon Civil War. What can we expect to see yep. from you coming up? What projects are you working on here, Peter? I usually take months to get an episode out, but I've actually got a load ready to go. So I'm hoping to pump out one a week over the next few weeks. So as I said earlier, next one's going to be looking at the Eternal Core Conference that Tom uh, Harrison, who wrote, who, whose stories are in Visions of Glory book that has influenced Jody Hildebrand and all these other people. In 2019, he had a conference at which spoke Jody Hildebrand, Tim Ballard, a scientist telling people not to trust science, an energy healer, and the Hayferns, bless them, they keep naively blundering into these things. Um, talking about their faith is not blind project, which is basically saying have blind faith. They call it non-contingent trust, which is literally a definition of blind faith. But faith is not blind. <laughs> um, that's going on and how it actually is part of the, the fundamental dysfunctions that, that need addressing in the church. This is what's causing people to leave. Um, and it's not fringe lunatics who don't matter. It's people just actualizing what the general authorities have been teaching for years. And we need to see that connection or we won't, we'll continue to foster these, these movements and these people who are actually um, bringing all these bad headlines for the church. So I'm just trying to take a deep dive into all of that, take a bit more time to listen to what these people actually say and what the connections are to understand how it's all part of the, the same network of thoughts and relationships between all these different people. Well, we'll be looking forward to uh, watching the Mormon Civil War. And that does remind me that the Mormon Movie Reviews, our next episode of that is tomorrow night. We'll be reviewing awesome. Bitter Wind. And this is in one of the only church videos which really discusses the Indian placement program. And there's in some incredibly harmful um, stereotypes that are perpetuated and also some very evil colonialism in this particular film. 
But if you're able to look past those portions, there's a kernel of joy that's beneath this film if you're able to set aside those very harmful things, which is one of the reasons that this is one of my favorite LDS films of all time. I want to thank you, Peter, for ruminating with me on the great and spacious beehive. I want to give a shout out to Weird Alma on Bandcamp.com for this episode's music. And remember, remember... No unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Satan.